Welcome back to another episode of Muggle with a Mic. Katie here. Phil's not with me on this episode, but I do have some very special guests, so stay tuned. As mentioned in a previous episode, I am running for the Aerial Theater's fundraiser maestro for a moment. This year, we have three female candidates vying for the distinct honor of conducting the Ohio Valley Symphony as they perform Sleigh Ride at the December 3rd Christmas show. Donating to a particular contestant is your vote. The money raised will go towards the orchestra, including musicians, soloists, conductors, and also purchases and rental of sheet music. If you would like to make a tax-deductible donation today, you may do so by visiting arieltheater.org, scanning the QR code below, or in person at the December 3rd concert at 7.30 p.m. Later in this episode, I will interview the other contestants, Marilyn Wells and Robin Fowler. But first, I am so happy to be joined by the maestro of that Christmas show himself, maestro Stephen Huang. Stephen has held many titles throughout his career, including music director of the Bach Society Orchestra of Harvard University, associate professor and director of orchestras at Ohio University, founder and director of International Conducting Masterclasses Incorporated, music director at the University of Chicago Chamber Orchestra, the Central Illinois Youth Orchestra, the Gilbert and Sullivan Players of Chicago, the Bradley University Orchestra, and, on top of all that, he's currently working on a book about conducting. Mr. Huang has collaborated with orchestras around the world, including California, New York, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Massachusetts, West Virginia, Ohio, Haiti, Moldova, and Romania. I'd like to welcome Stephen to Muggle with a Mic. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for being on the podcast. Hi, Katie. Great to see you. <laughs> it's so good <laughs> to see you again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I let's start off with our mugs. Okay. We're going to uh, let me let me see your mug that you've brought to drink on this I episode. I did. I did. Thank you. This is a mug from the orchestra that I conduct now. This is called the New Westchester Symphony Orchestra. It's a community ensemble based in Westchester County, which is a county just north of New York City. I uh, was appointed their new music director just after the pandemic, well, after the pandemic calmed down, July, 2021. Uh, this is their slogan, great music played by anyone for everyone. And uh, I'm really proud of them. We just had a concert last Saturday and it went, went really, really well. Wonderful. What was the theme of the concert? Well, it was a mix because it is uh, mainly some Brahms, but because it was October 29th, we said, okay, what the heck, we'll throw some Halloween in. So we did Harry Potter. <gasps> no way! <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. So, I w I'm glad yeah. that I missed it. <laughs> we did the Harry Potter suite. There is an arrangement for, you know, uh, probably a, an advanced high school level orchestra. And it incorporated all the themes from every movie. And uh, I know this is a podcast, I'm not supposed to say it, but the music from the first four films, I think, are better than the last three. 100%. 100%. Because that first one, it was, I'm sorry for the word, but it was magical. What I don't, it was a magical feeling. You know, that those John Williams, those hooks are so good. It's just amazing what he does. And then the other ones are great too. They set an atmosphere, but they don't have that hook. Right. They don't have the, the thing that says, I, I know exactly what theme that is. You, know, you hear the Hogwarts Hall theme, you know what it is, you, you know, the owl theme, Hedwig Absolutely. theme. Hedwig, yeah. yeah. No, and it brings you back to that time when you first heard it as well. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a theme for the ages. It's going to be like Star Wars. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Also, Star Wars, I believe John Williams, am I right in assuming that he yeah. stole some themes from Holst for that? Uh, I feel like... Yes. I mean, okay, so when we say, let's say how about creatively borrowed. <laughs> yes, that, no, that's, that's better. All of our work is really on the shoulders of other giants, you know. And <laughs> absolutely. Then, absolutely. But you're right. But, you know, uh, John Williams was sued once by the estate of another composer for Superman, because the first four notes, I think, five notes of the Superman theme sounds like one of Richard Strauss's tunes. Oh I think my gosh. John Williams won that suit. 
Anyway. Rightfully so. <laughs> you can edit all this aside out if no, you no. want to. Hey, we're a movie <laughs> podcast. I love all that. Um, I'll go oh, ahead okay. and show I'll go ahead and show off my mug, um, which counters your mug. It's the Ohio Valley Symphony mug. So you have the Westchester Symphony and I have the Ohio Valley Symphony. Wonderful. There Two mugs go. in a pod. <laughs> I love puns. Um, so I can I get a little bit of information on how you got introduced to music? Sure. Uh, I started like most young people, uh, uh, most musicians, as to say, started as a young person. Uh, started with Suzuki as, at the age of three when I was born in Minnesota. My parents set me up with some string lessons in Suzuki. Uh, but then we moved to, to California, and uh, those discontinued, but I picked them up along with piano at about second grade to fourth grade, and that's where I continued. And piano is my main instrument, actually. Uh, cello is my second now. Wonderful, wonderful. And a little more history behind your Harvard education? Yes. Uh, as you mentioned, I was the director of the Bach Society Orchestra, and that's uh, a student orchestra uh, at Harvard. Um, actually, Yo-Yo Ma played in it uh, back in, when he was a student there, and they each year elect a student conductor to lead them. And uh, I was lucky enough to be the, the conductor of that orchestra in my senior year there. Uh, that was way back in 1994, 95. And that's where I got started as a conductor actually. And after that, um, about two years later, I uh, auditioned and uh, entered the University of Michigan at their uh, quite prestigious uh, music academy and music school as a conducting student and um, got my master's degree there. And then I was working for four years in the field in Chicago and in Illinois with various orchestras before I got a Fulbright to study in Romania, where I was very lucky to study with um, a maestro, a teacher who uh, was a student at the St. Petersburg Conservatory as a conductor. And uh, do you like conducting here in in Europe? What's the difference between the two? Uh, there are significant differences. Um, I've had, I think that in certain parts of Europe, eastern parts of Europe, the authority of the conductor is still a lot more. I think things are changing, but that's kind of like the old school way, I think, of of certain orchestras. I don't particularly enjoy that necessarily, mm -hmm. um, but there is that difference. But the, there's another difference, which is the fact that orchestral, the art of orchestra is much more ingrained naturally in European cultures. So whereas here, you know, all of these are certainly um, supported generously by uh, the government, they're not necessarily like a part of the underlying culture of, of Europe. So for example, in a country like Romania, every small town might have its own symphony orchestra. Well, I mean, Ohio Valley Symphony uh, yeah. is, a, is a good example actually. Uh, but a lot of those would be then funded by primarily by the city itself. Wow, interesting. Do you think that's better when the, when the city's supporting it or when uh, like supporters of the arts are supporting it? Yeah, it's a very good question. I think certainly when, a, when the government supports it, it may not be necessarily uh, serving the public as much. So I yeah. totally agree with that. But I just, I think the, the framing of it is really more about what part of the culture does that, you know, does this orchestra uh, reside in. So because of its long history, of the orchestra's long history in a lot of Europe, I think that this, they take as kind of, something that they really feel like they should do. Right. Um, whereas there's other things that they may feel like, you know, they're not, they're not gonna fund a marching band, for example, because there's no football, so there's no marching band. <laughs> Maybe that, I don't know a Romanian sport or I would make a pun about a Romanian sport. No, no, they just, they, soccer's very big. Soccer's very, very big. I have a little special knowledge for you. I don't know if you recall, but you have conducted me in the past. Really? Yes. In 2006, you conducted me when I played oh. with the Ohio, Ohio University Honors Orchestra when I was a senior in high school. I do remember. I remember your name because it's very close to the name Dvorak. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> it's been 16 years, but I remember. Hi, hi Katie, again. <laughs> Hello, uh, Maestro Huang. It's very nice to see you again. <laughs> again, you probably well, uh, you probably don't remember my face as much because I was so far back because I was last chair, second violin. So, But I was there. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's so <laughs> wonderful to see you. You haven't changed a bit. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank yes. you very much. Yes. Um, but speaking, since you've been conducting that long, what would you say is the easiest and what is the hardest thing when it comes to conducting? Um, I think the, I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything that's particularly easy. I, you know what would be easy? I think most people who, lay people who watch a conductor might say what we do is just seems so simple. Yeah. And that is true. I mean, I can teach you or anybody to do the basic motions of conducting within, you know, maybe half an hour. If, mm -hmm. if that, you know, it's not like piano, it's not like flute, it's not like any, it's not like, it's not like violin. It's a really low barrier to entry uh, to pick up how you're supposed to do it. But the difficulty is, um, the hardest part is realizing that the job of a conductor really combines a whole suite of different skills that you need. Um, you need musical skills. I need to be able to look at a score and be able to understand what it sounds like. And that's why piano is really helpful because the piano helps me play through it. I can look at a score, uh, you know, I can look at a score like this, which is uh, you know, written with all the different parts and different lines and I need to be able to, you know, be able to try to be able to play the different notes all together. Um, so there's musical skills, but there's also management skills, uh, time management, people management, uh, we're trying to work and collaborate with musicians to to uh, to realize a common goal, and um, the conductor's like a foreman that we've been endowed with this responsibility uh, bequeathed to us by the musicians who have chosen uh, me to conduct them to put the 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 products together. And just like you know, you can build a building or a skyscraper with many many people, but it's going to go a lot faster with the foreman. Um, so that's another skill, which is managerial and uh, person skills as well. And then beyond that, there's, there is, the, I think, the skill of being a showman. In other words, that you are an advocate for the music and an advocate for the orchestra as well, and you need to take the stage and show the audience uh, what this music is all about and why it deserves to be heard and that we're all here to have a good time. Yeah. So I think being an advocate and being a showman is really important as well. Absolutely. I feel like it's like, here's an anal another analogy. You are the train engine and the musicians are the cars of the train. If not for you, they don't know what track to go on. Right. Well, like the conductor of a train. Yeah. As, <laughs> conductor. Uh, yeah. Our job is um, really to shepherd the the musicians along. And it's not only... To say that, um, you know, it maybe used to be that the conduct, what the conductor says goes. And, you know, maybe about 60 years ago, that might have been more the case when they had absolute authority over what needs to happen. And nowadays, in most modern orchestras, it's really one of collaboration as well. Mm. So I certainly have a certain vision of how I think the music should go. But part of it is also understanding where the musicians are as well and what they want to do. Mm -hmm. and working together and um, and bringing that into some kind of common vision. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, what is your favorite instrument or piece to conduct or, or play? But what's your favorite piece of instrument to conduct and also piece of music? Well, I think I don't have a favorite because whatever I'm working on then is my favorite. Oh, yeah. And it's like a whole series of different little love affairs for conductors because mm -hmm. what happens is that we, you know, it's not like a pianist or a violinist or an instrumentalist, they may learn a piano concerto or a violin concerto and they would take years to learn that piece as they need to, to perfect it. And that's with them for their whole lives. Yeah. You know, and we do have that perhaps with some symphonies, but our responsibility is really organized around when the next concert is. So I want to be sure that when I'm preparing for the concert, as I am preparing right now, is that I'm learning the music, I'm learning what are the little idiosyncrasies of that piece, what's the point of that piece, what do I need to do to make it sound 
good or what does sounding good mean and you know and how to organize my rehearsal time um and so i don't necessarily have my favorite so if you were to ask me right now my favorite it's the tchaikovsky nutcracker suite because that's what we'll be playing and that's a you know it's a war horse it's a chestnut everybody plays that uh, especially during christmas time but uh, i'm looking for particularly what is this performance mean at the Ohio Valley Symphony on December 3rd mm. in that community. Ah. And so that's what I'm thinking about this as I'm actually thinking, okay, I'm in that space now. What is the audience looking for? What does Tchaikovsky want to say? What yeah. can we as the musicians do? That will be a little bit different. It's not exactly the same because the acoustics are different. The mood is different. A lot of things might be different. Speaking of acoustics are different, how has it been conducting differently in the Wedge Auditorium as compared to the Ariel Theater? Well, certainly it's not the same. The, the Ariel Theater acoustically is just so wonderful, uh, particularly because the stage itself is not that big, and um, but somehow the strings sound bigger than they are. So it's a, it's a real jewel of an auditorium. Um, but we are so lucky to have the wedge because if not, we can't serve our public. Uh, I think that the, the wedge auditorium uh, is more of a standard uh, high school auditorium. It needs to function for, it's, you know, it can't just be a concert stage. It has to be for high school presentations, for assemblies, for theater shows. So, and you know, if you want to do a theater show, you don't want a huge boomy acoustic either. Right. So, uh, so there are limitations, but we are so happy that they are, are home right now. And I had a great time, you know, like I said, you play to the acoustic. So we figure out what it's going to sound like. And then we might, I might ask, as I think I remembered asking the orchestra last time, I was like, okay, we need to play certain things a little bit longer here because there isn't as much echo or reverb as there is at the ARIO. So just yeah. be prepared to do that, and, you know. So we, we deal with it. What would so. be your favorite location that you've ever conducted that had the, the best, most amazing sound? Well, I think the Ariel is really up there. Really? It certainly yeah. is. Yeah. Um, the in University of Michigan, where I got my master's degree, the Hill Auditorium is fantastic. In fact, in Nash, international orchestras uh, die to have a chance to, to play there. They really enjoy it. And yeah. the shape of that building is a kind of, that's what they call a clamshell space. And it's uh, really um, acoustically very, very nice. One of the strangest places that I conducted was I had the opportunity to guest conduct the Boston Pops this summer. Oh, and wow. uh, the first time I played at the Symphony Hall in, in Boston, that's where the Boston Symphony plays. And that acoustic is very bizarre in the fact that when I'm on the podium and I'm conducting, I can't really hear the woodwinds very well. So I, I kept asking to play a little bit more, a little bit more. And then the music director, uh, Keith Lockhart, uh, came to me after the rehearsal says, you know what, this is a strange acoustic. You can't hear them, but out in the hall, they can hear them perfectly. Wow. Yeah. It just jumped over you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just the way that the that the acoustics work. Uh, I think yeah. part of it's because I think the ceiling above the orchestra is so high that the sound goes up and it goes over, right? Wow, exactly. very yeah. physics. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about the pieces that we're gonna that are gonna be performed at the Christmas show. Um, I don't think we'll be able to go over them all, but what are some things that people that are going to see the symphony that you might want to point out or let them know the history behind? Well, um, I, when uh, Laura asked me to put together this uh, concert, my idea was to have one that represented a more traditional Eastern European Christmas and contrast that with a, with a New World Christmas. So the first half is basically music from, let's say, Russia, uh, the Slavic world, right? So we have Tchaikovsky with a Nutcracker uh, suite. We also have an opening. It is another Russian composer named Rimsky-Korsakov who uh, wrote an opera called Christmas Eve. And we're just playing one short movement called Holy Night. It's the introduction to the opera yeah. from that opera. So that's going to be kind of a Eastern Slavic type of a, of a Christmas music. And then to contrast that, we have, let's say, Christmas music that we're more familiar with here in America, um, for example, 
we have Silver Bells, um, The Sweet from It's a Wonderful Life. Um, Which I noticed, I did some research for that since it's a yes. movie. Um, and the oh, yeah. composer of that is Ukrainian. So there we go. There's European yeah, as Chomkin. well. Yeah, Chomkin. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, as immigrants would come to, to come to the United States and they were writing for Hollywood, certainly. Uh, we are also doing, we're finishing with a mashup of Jingle Bells and Stars and Stripes Forever. So that's called Jingle Bells Forever, I think is, is the name of that tune. We're also doing an Appalachian Christmas Carol, I Wonder As I Wander, as well as a, a spiritual, uh, African-American spiritual, um, Go Tell It on a Mountain, I think in a setting that combines it with uh, the first Noel. So it's a really kind of a new world Christmas music. And so we're trying to draw these commonalities between, let's say, the traditional Nutcracker and Eastern European versus, uh, not versus, together with the uh, uh, new world Christmas music. That's great. Uh, well, I love it. I will say, I do know Go Tell It on the Mountain very well because my mother came in every Christmas morning singing that at the top of her lungs every really? Christmas morning. <laughs> yes, she loves that song. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's um, I actually didn't know it as a Christmas carol. I always thought of it as a, kind of a church thing that we used to sing. I, and I only just recently realized that this was a Christmas tune, uh, the oh. Christmas carol. Yeah, no, I, I definitely knew it because mom sang it every Christmas. But really? yeah, I love I love knowing how all those songs are coming together and how they're cohesive and, and around Christmas time. Right. Last question before we end this wonderful interview that I love and I've learned so much. Um, how how does the practice go for the symphony beforehand? Because, I mean, from my uh, me playing music, you play in high school and with as a youth symphony, you're playing multiple weeks together. Um, yeah. But as a professional symphony, you're only seeing each other for what I think two days. How does practice go go before the day of the concert? Well, uh, for our Christmas show, we have a rehearsal on Friday evening, and then in the on Saturday we'll have a dress rehearsal about uh, in the afternoon, about one o'clock, and then the concerts at, in the evening. Um, so, of course, with a professional orchestra, we expect that all the musicians arrive with their notes learned, mm. so that we are not spending time at learning notes and rhythms, but we're really there to put the thing together. This is the usual way of how professional orchestras work. Some uh, might have four rehearsals, especially for challenging uh, programs. So if you want to go see the Boston Symphony, for example, they might have a rehearsal series that might be about four rehearsals. But that's about it. Um, mm -hmm. For a Christmas program, it's, a lot of this music is standard. A lot of it is not as difficult. So I think that I told Laura that I thought that two rehearsals will be enough to put together this program. But that's the great challenge because it is up to us and it's really up to me to find a rehearsal schedule. And I will plan it down to the minute. And I'll look at this, for example, I'll look at this piece and I'll say, this piece is, this movement is three minutes long. That means that if I have six minutes, I can play through it twice. Uh, so how much time, and I have to find the problem spots before I get there to the first rehearsal, have all the solutions planned out. Wow. And by doing so, you can really have a really efficient rehearsal that so what an efficient rehearsal oftentimes means is that I already know before I hear them where the places are that might pose problems and have solutions already for them. Um, so it's just like actually it's like building uh, a building from a blueprint. Uh, somebody yeah. a trained foreman. So the architect draws up. The, let's say the architect is like a composer draws up her or his vision of what this should look or sound like, and then me as the constructor as the foreman. I look at the blueprint and say, okay, here's going to be a problem. Here's a challenge. I think I know what, what she means here. Yeah. This is what, how we're going to execute it. And that's what we do. Wow. That's amazing. And I always think of the, the poster that I saw in school of the iceberg and the performance is the tip of the iceberg and the practice is what's underneath the water, the preparing, the getting ready for the performance. Right. And it's not only those rehearsals that's the part of that the underwater iceberg. It's the hundreds and thousands of hours of the training that went into every individual musician lifetimes that mm -hmm. go to build up that iceberg, right? So every time I stand in front of an orchestra, it's such a great privilege, but I also think about 
sometimes, you know, to make things kind of kind of funny or ironic, I think how many how much money is invested in this performance in terms of man hours and labor of these people and their instruments mm-hmm. and everything. And it's like I'm driving a, a fancy car. I'm driving a Rolls Royce every time I get in front of an orchestra uh, to rehearse them. And it, so if I think about that, I think every minute I spend to prepare for that will make that experience better for everybody. Absolutely. 100%. They started as little kids in a, in a school music program, just like all of us. And then, and then they kept practicing for those decades to what we get to watch for an hour on stage. Right. It's, it's a really special thing, I think, to think about everybody coming together, uh, including the audience, for those hour and a half, two hours to celebrate something that people work really hard all their lifetimes to build that thing for them to, to appreciate. And then it's gone. Yeah. And, that, and the ephemerality actually is part of, I think, the magic of going to a live performance. Because you go there, you experience it. It's like the capstone of experience, of, of artistry. And then it's, it's, it's gone. It's history. And you yeah. have it as a memory. And that's what makes it so special. And that's why everybody should go to concerts classical yes. concerts and, and popular music concerts. Yes, it's a gift. It truly is a gift. Absolutely. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. This has been a pleasure and I've learned so much. Thank you very much, Katie. And best of luck. I know that you are one of three contestants, all women. Yes. So we should call this Maestra for a moment, right? That's right. Maestra, have the A. Have the a. <laughs> I'll be voting. If I can vote for all three of you, I will. But uh, thank you so much for doing this and for supporting the arts. And, oh, no. uh, thank you, Stephen. You keep the arts going. You're the train conductor. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> and go Blue Devils. <laughs> yeah, go Blue. Paging Dr. Weedy. Paging Dr. Weedy. Please report to Muggle with a Mic. Welcome to Muggle with a Mic's Doctor Lounge, where we get medical knowledge and expertise from our resident doctor, Dr. Weedy, an actual medical doctor. Yeah, so when I'm ordering a medium rare steak, I really want it to be more of a fuchsia, not pink or mauve. Oh, he- oh, we're recording. Hello, Muggle with a Mic listeners. It's Dr. Weedy. Yes, it's my voice, coming to you from the doctor's lounge at Muggle with a Mic headquarters. I had mentioned to Miss Katie that I'm a much better talker than a typer, and she decided to give me the opportunity to speak to you directly. After some back and forth contractual negotiations regarding exactly how I wanted the lounge to be laid out, I must say I'm quite impressed and happy to be here. Now unfortunately, my premiere will be marred by a bad head cold. I feel fine, it's not COVID but I'm still dealing with some leftover mucus and quite a bit of head congestion. My voice sounds really strange to me and I'm actually having a bit of trouble hearing through my headphones, which actually is a nice segue into this episode's topic. For this episode, Miss Katie asked me to speak about Ludwig von Beethoven and the significant hearing loss that he suffered. Now, being a fan of general knowledge and trivia, I was aware that Beethoven did have a significant hearing issue but I was quite surprised with some of the facts behind his hearing issue after researching the topic. Before I get into that though, I really wanted to talk first about what it actually means to hear something. In its simplest form, hearing is basically our brains interpreting vibrations or waves in a certain medium. 99% of the time, that's going to be air. Technically, your brain can interpret sound through vibrations, such as if you were to place something vibrating against your skull, but for the most part, we're talking about vibrations or waves in the air. As an example, as you sit here and listen to this podcast, your earbuds or headphones or speakers are creating waves in the air around you. These waves enter your ear through the holes in the side of your head, which we call the external auditory canal. These waves will travel maybe a quarter of an inch until they come into contact with your eardrum. Your eardrum's a very thin, actually transparent piece of tissue at the end of the canal. Your eardrum will vibrate as these waves in the air hit it. There are then three small bones that connect the eardrum to the inner ear. These are actually the three smallest bones in the human body, and they transmit the vibrations from the eardrum to the inner ear and specifically to the cochlea, 
The cochlea looks like a tiny snail and is filled with fluid and small hair cells, which will convert the vibrations into nerve impulses that is then carried by the nerve to the brain. The brain then interprets these nerve impulses as sound. So based on the variation in the strength and frequency of the vibrations and the resulting nerve impulses, your brain hears everything from sonic booms to the delicate violin parts of a Beethoven composition. So it's important to note that hearing involves the conduction of the waves or vibrations to the inner ear and then the transmission of neurologic impulses to the brain. The reason that's important to note is that I'm currently suffering from a conductive type of hearing issue in which the air or the waves are not reaching my inner ear very well because of the congestion from my cold. However, Beethoven suffered from a sensoroneural hearing loss from actual damage to the nerve. Now, probably one of the more interesting facts that I found in my research was that people are still debating the cause of Beethoven's hearing loss. Being a fan of general knowledge and trivia, I was aware that his hearing loss was blamed on a syphilis infection. Now, syphilis can directly affect the nerves and can directly cause hearing loss, but the treatment for syphilis in his day was mercury, which mercury itself can cause hearing loss. However, the hearing loss from a syphilis infection or the treatment of syphilis with mercury would have been fairly rapid in onset, and the historical record shows that Beethoven's hearing loss was slow and progressive. Now, I'm not sure if they exhumed his body for further testing or if it was already an established part of his medical record, but a recent theory actually points to an increased level of lead in his blood as the culprit behind his hearing loss. This actually makes sense as some of the finer dinnerware and glassware that Beethoven would have used did contain lead, and the slow ingestion of lead over a period of time could have contributed to his hearing loss. The second most fascinating fact regarding Beethoven's loss of hearing, to me, was how young he was when it happened. There are sources that will say that he was in his 20s, but pretty much everyone agrees that he was not much older than 30 when he began to lose his hearing. As a matter of fact, they say that he composed his ninth symphony at the age of 53 when he was completely deaf. As amazing as that fact is, it does not surprise me. And that leads me to the final part of my discussion. Now, I'm not a musician. I can poke at a keyboard and make a reasonable song. I can maybe play a couple chords on the guitar. And I believe that Miss Katie and her colleagues could speak to this topic a little better than I can. However, I do like to analyze things. And I believe that Beethoven was able to compose even with a significant hearing loss based on two factors. Number one, a mental brain ability to compose. And number two, a physical ability to play in spite of his deafness. Number one, the mental or brain side of composing. Hearing is your brain's subjective interpretation of objective information it's getting from the outside world. As your listeners know, you can hear music in your head even if it's not playing. What happens in your head if I say, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you? Do you hear Rick Astley singing, never going to make you cry, never going to say goodbye, never going to tell a lie and hurt you? I am sure Ludwig von Beethoven could hear entire symphonies inside his head and easily transcribe them to paper. But I also read that Beethoven was a perfectionist and had to work out issues with his compositions on the piano. This brings me to the physical aspect of playing. When initially learning to play an instrument, there is a process where your brain has to think of what it wants to do and then tell your body what it needs to do. At some point with persistent training, there is a direct connection between what your brain wants and what your body will do. To the point that I believe Beethoven could hear a sound in his head and play it on the piano without a conscious thought. But even more poignant than that, and what was my favorite scene in the movie, is when Beethoven closed the cover of the piano and put his head to the lid and felt what he was playing. From a cinematic standpoint, that made that scene perhaps one of the most powerful scenes in the movie. And with that, I will wrap up this episode of The Doctor's Lounge with Dr. Weedy. Remember, 
The opinions expressed in the Doctor's Lounge segment of the Muggles with a Mic podcast are the sole opinion of Dr. Weedy and do not reflect the opinion of Katie, Phil, or Muggles with a Mic podcast. Any medical statements are not meant as an advice and should not take the place of actual visit with your medical professional. All characters in the Doctor's Lounge are fictitious and any similarities with active people are coincidental. Until next time, see you later. Uh, ma'am, are your uh, glassware and dinnerware lead free? Hey, Muggle with a Mic listeners. Have you heard about an app called Newsly? Newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up the most trending articles on the web on topics you choose at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. You can follow any topic as specific as you like from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, or even if you are so inclined, the Kardashians. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. The entire web becomes listenable for the first time, all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. And they have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 80 countries. Muggle with a Mic is there too. They even have digital radio. Download and use Newsly for free now from Newsly, that's N-E-W-S-L-Y dot M-E, or from the link in our episode description, and use promo code MUGGLE and receive a one-month free premium subscription. Stop scrolling. Start listening. Newsly. Do you guys have mugs? If you don't, that's fine. I do. Okay. <laughs> I have my fa-la-la-la-la mug. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> well, do you remember the city perk? Oh, yes. That's awesome. Re- yeah. So that was back in Lafayette Square? Was that where yeah, that was? At? It was yeah. on Court Street. I actually, a funny story real quick. Um, One of my friends in Ohio near Cincinnati went to an auction and the guy that bought but City Perk from me was auctioning off and he had a case of these. So I have a case of these mugs from 19, from What's 2000, the chances? right? For $4. <laughs> I said a piece. I'll buy, I'll take them $4. But she said, no, for the That's whole case. Crazy. So, yeah. If we want one, I have these. Wow. These <laughs> I went, we went to the City Perk all the time. Yay! <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. That's cool. Well, yeah. I I have the I have the one that I had with Stephen. Oh yeah, the, the Ariel, yep. the symphony nice. mug. Nice. So there we go. There we go. We got all our mugs. Well, we'll just go into it. I'm joined by Marilyn Wills and Robin Fowler here, which are the two other contestants for my straw for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> hi, hey. ladies. Nice to talk to you. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hi. Great to be here. <laughs> I'm glad you guys, we, we finally got together. We're doing the podcast episode. I'm so excited. Yes, it's exciting to be here and um, be able to meet everybody and uh, just get everything in full swing for the fundraiser. Absolutely. And I can't believe what, it's less than a month away. Yes. TikTok. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> uh, so first off, I, I'm throwing this question in there. Okay. For each of you. What is the stress level of if your name's called and getting up there on stage in front of everyone? I'll go with Marilyn first. Um, I have to say it's pretty high, um, which it's funny because I, I do teach music. And so I think everybody just assumes that um, music teachers and directors don't get nervous. But I feel like maybe I'm extra nervous because I know everybody knows that I'm a music teacher. <laughs> right. So, uh, it, it just makes me nervous thinking my... Um, uh, what do I want to say? Like my level of error that's allowed is pretty much slim to none. <laughs> expectations are high. So, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So. How about you, Robin? Well, it's funny. Um, I'm like an extrovert off the charts and I don't, no one has any expectations of me because I'm not. <laughs> anything. So I'm like, I'm just going to wing it. I'm, ex- I'm excited about it. I'm sure they'll, hopefully they know what to do without me actually leading them yeah (laughs) i'm right in the middle i'm i'm more afraid that i'm gonna trip going up the stairs 
There's that. That, that, that would <laughs> be me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Let's get into our next topic of, and we'll start with Robin. Um, why did you want to run for my show for a moment? Well, you know, so I've had the opportunity to um, to go live in a couple different towns and, and travel some, and you don't realize what you don't have until you get away from it. And when we moved back, we got the opportunity to come back to Gal Police in 2014. And well, even before that, our daughter went to a lot of classes at French Art Colony. So we didn't realize that that was a big thing either. So then you leave the community and you, 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 you travel and you go to Metro markets where it's just, it's there. The theater's there, performing arts are there. You kind of take it for granted. And when we came back home and when Laura approached me about doing this, I'm like, oh my gosh, that would be great. I'm not, I'm not involved in the arts where I could have an impact in that direction, but to support it and, and help raise money and introduce it to a lot of people that are in my circle that are in the same way that aren't necessarily involved. So maybe we can, you know, we can generate a lot more support and, and reach a lot more people to provide a, a service that our kids in our community just wouldn't have otherwise. It's, it's phenomenal. So. Amen. Mm -hmm. yep. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, how about you, Marilyn? Um, so Laura approached me about it and I instantly had to say yes. The symphony has been fantastic about sending like we've had Broadway workshops at the aerial that uh, some of my high school students were able to participate in. This was years ago. And just throughout the years, they've been able to send musicians. Um, sometimes it's maybe a soloist, sometimes a duet, sometimes it's a small ensemble. Um, when I taught at um, Guy Academy High School, even when I was at Washington Elementary, it was fantastic because they could just come over, you know, a couple blocks and perform for the students. And it was crucial for my students to have that because a lot of them are not exposed to the arts maybe as much as what I would like for them to be. And so they, at the drop of a hat, would just come over and do it and would not charge, I should say. It was hmm. just, um, again, wanting to spread um, just the advocacy for music and how important it is just so the kids could simply enjoy it. And um, even when I was at the middle school, they had performers come in. So for me, it was just, I couldn't say no. <laughs> Because yeah. they have just been fantastic about coming into the schools and offering so much for the children. And it's just been fantastic. It's it's a fantastic resource that we have in our small Appalachian city that, again, I, I agree with you, Robin. I feel like a lot of people may not even realize what a gym we have here until you attend a show or until you start realizing, you know, how they do reach out into the community um, and what all they do. So I couldn't say no. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah. I think I might be the only one of us that actually approached Laura myself. <laughs> I love but actually, it. It wasn't really me. It was my mother, who's my oh manager, my aka we call her our, my momager. <laughs> yes. Your momager, that's awesome. But we usher at the at the aerial for all the concerts, mm -hmm. and uh, one one day we were just like, "This is a no brainer." Because to segue from you, Marilyn. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the kids. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the kids that was influenced by this symphony. Uh, I was in, I was seven years old in first grade. Uh, they came to green elementary and I watched some of the players there and I ran home and asked mom, mommy, uh, can I play the little guitar? And she didn't know what I was talking about and went to my principal and said, asked what the heck that meant. And I started violin lessons like a month later. Mm -hmm. So, and it was the program with, with the symphony, uh, the after school strings program, which morphed into the youth orchestra. Mm -hmm. And then I just played violin all through high school mm -hmm. and I've played with you, Marilyn. Oh, and that's what I was going to say, how cool it is to come full circle because you were a student, but then even later on as an adult came back to play for my choir. I remember, uh, we did a choral piece that required the violin. And so here we are. And I just yeah. think that's really cool. Beautiful. It's magical. That's what it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So the reason I wanted to do this was there is a Katie 2.0 out there who mm -hmm. doesn't know that she wants to be a part of music, but because she goes to one of these concerts, it'll bring music into her life and make it that much better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. There you go. Um, let's move on. Mm -hmm. Question. 
Marilyn, what is yes. your favorite instrument when you go to a symphony concert? What's your favorite instrument to watch on stage? And then what's your favorite instrument to listen to? Um, so I'm partial to piano because that's my main instrument. However, aside from watching the piano, I would say cello. Like there's just something to me. Um, it's just it, the expression that you can um, hear on a cello, just the timbre, the the highs, the lows, just everything about it to me is just beautiful. And I think, especially because it can be played, I think in almost any style of music and sound just as beautiful, but that would be my favorite. Robin. So it's funny. I'm like, so I don't have very much musical background and I'm like, well, so do they play the harp in the symphony? Cause that's my favorite instrument. Oh yeah. Some <laughs> they do not every, okay. but. Not, yeah. I was going to say, I, not very often. I got opportunity to see in Vienna, Austria, they had a performance and I was just overwhelmed with the beauty of it. And I love, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan nice. and I love elves. Potato. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's it got in its pockets? <laughs> So yeah, I love the harp. I just think it's it's just beautiful and it's just surreal and it, you feel it in your soul. Oh, and, absolutely. Well, yeah. And I have to add to that as well. Um, one of the musicians that came actually was a harpist and she brought her harp to Washington Elementary and we all gathered around and we listened um, and it, it was, it was magical. So yeah. Wonderful. Awesome. It's like an angelic guitar. Yes. Yes. <laughs> just feel lifted and yes. Oh yeah. Well, I'm going to cheat again, Marilyn. Mine's the cello. Uh, <laughs> of course, as a violinist, I'm watching the Boeings and mm -hmm. I'm trying to find someone who's off on the, when they're at a down bow and they should be an up bow, but mm -hmm. they're professionals and they never do it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to find when someone makes a mistake, but no, the cello, um, Yo-Yo Ma is, is mm -hmm. amazing. I love listening to his renditions of everything. So cello i've always said if i ever get married um i'm gonna just have cellos just like twelve thousand cellos <laughs> yes that would be gorgeous yeah, yeah. wouldn't it? it would be yeah oh my gosh yes there you go yes. all right um so now let's we talked about the instruments now let's talk about songs or pieces for the holidays uh marilyn what is your favorite holiday orchestral piece or even just a musical uh song for the holidays so this question was really really difficult for me to narrow down to what i have to say um orchestral i would say oh holy night that is just to me it that is the epitome to me of christmas songs i i just i think that song is just absolutely beautiful um second of all would be christmas time is here uh, um, good man, Charlie Brown, or not good man, Charlie Brown, but Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, mm -hmm. And I just, I like it because of its simplicity. And I don't know, it just brings about calm and just the simple, just the message of Christmas and how really simple it, it really is. So those are my two favorites, but I could, I could give you a whole list of <laughs> all the others that I like as well. Yeah. We'll just assume every Christmas song is your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> how okay. about you, Robin? Well, I had a hard time with it too. Um, there's just, I mean, every, every Christmas song, you can't go wrong, but the magic when the Trans-Siberian Orchestra plays in the Christmas canon, mm -hmm. when the, when the children start singing, I mean, it's like, it is like the magic of Christmas just, just surrounds you. And mm -hmm. um, we have that, my dad got that DVD or CD for me a long time ago. And it's, I've got to get a new one because it's all scratched and worn out. That's what we start our Christmas with when we start decorating and it just, it's beautiful. Good choices. Well, I had, I couldn't even narrow them down, but I went ahead and picked two. Um, and I, I I'm fighting between Carol of the bells and then Vaughn Williams Fantasia on green sleeves. Green sleeves is just, I find it just so peaceful. And mm -hmm. it, I mean, I think of, you know, evergreen trees with the snow and a sleigh going through the snow when I hear that song. So uh, those are those are probably my two favorites. If you asked me my favorite choral work, I would have said Carol the Bells. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually one of our longstanding traditions at Gally Academy. And we're still 
that's how we always close our concerts is with Carol of the Bells. So maybe that's why I love it. I remember that. I remember that. Yep. Because of the Gaia Academy choir saying yes. Carol of the Bells. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that was why, but that's why. <laughs> All right. And finally, what's your favorite um, Christmas scene or song musical number from uh, a television show or a movie? Robin, let's go with you first. So I just laugh about this too, because as a child, the original, and then of course they've had a couple different remakes, but I love it when Christmas was pretty much destroyed and the Who's woke up who on Christmas morning and they all just, the sun's coming up and they gather and they sing, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, I, Dahu Dores, Fahu Dores, Fahu Dores. Yeah. Yes. And they, and welcome Christmas day and all the love and the true meaning of Christmas. And I mean, that song we laugh with my grandchildren, we sing it all the time too. And it's just, it's timeless, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good one. Classic. Yes, it is. Yes, very much so. Marilyn. Um, I would say mine is I'll be home for Christmas. Um, oh yeah. I, just, I love just the idea of no matter where you're at, um, for me, like there, there really isn't any place better than home. And I still look forward to going home for the holidays and, um, just the message of that song. It's one of my favorites. Well, and the history behind that song mm -hmm. it was written for the soldiers and it breaks your heart, but it's also yes, so beautiful. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mine is from home alone. Ah. Uh, somewhere in my memory that oh, yes as an as a 90s kid i mean home alone i watch that every christmas uh my favorite scene is when he gets the cheese pizza um <laughs> but then it also brings it home it's a beautiful message of how he thinks this neighbor across the street is weird but he's actually a kind soul and he goes to the church and listens to his granddaughter saying and and then that music playing in the background just brings back so many memories for me mm -hmm. yep wow. there you go great choices yeah. Yeah. I I'm love Christmas, crank the Christmas music now. <laughs> I know. I was I was playing it in the office here today and they were laughing at me. I'm like, oh, I'm just so ready. <laughs> Get some Mariah Carey out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of Christmas music, uh, would you guys like to play a Christmas music game real quick? Sure. Okay. Oh, yes. That's now, sure. <laughs> do you want to play together or against each other? Ooh. Uh, maybe together. I was going to say a little nervous. Yeah, me too. Let's play together. <laughs> I've got easy, medium and hard ones on here. So, and that's all based on my opinion of if they're hard or not. Okay. <laughs> this is fun. This is like name that tune. Yeah. These are all going to be from movies, by the way. Okay. okay. And, it, and if you need a clue, okay. I can give you the year and the composer that, okay. that the song came out. Okay. That's why we need you, Marilyn. I know. Is it from the Grinch? What's your guess? Is it from the Grinch? No. I was thinking the Scrooge from... Um... I know yeah. this song. I've heard it a million times. You're on sort of the right track, but you need to phone a friend. <laughs> yes, we do. Would you like the year and the composer? Yes, the year. Okay, 1993. Okay. Is it the um? Oh, is that from Home Alone? Tim no. Burton. No. Tim Burton. Oh, it's the um. Oh. <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas? Nightmare Before yes. Christmas. Yes. Yay. Okay. Good job. That was awesome. <laughs> I was like, they're not going to get this. And then you got it. Yeah. <laughs> Teamwork. Yes. That's right. All right. Here's clip number two. I should know this. 
1992. Hmm. And it's I'm drawing uh, a blank on this one. I mean, it sounds familiar, but uh, I'll give you a clue. Scrooge. A Christmas Carol. Specifically. <laughs> um. The Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> a Muppet Christmas Carol. A Muppet Muppet Christmas Christmas Carol. Okay. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> the podcast listeners are really gonna love that that clip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right, clip number three. I don't think this is the easy level, by the way. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> A year. We need a year and a composer. 94. And it's two people, Michael Convertino and Lorena McKennett. Two people I have no idea who they are, but that music I know very well. Hmm. I'm drawing a blank on that one. Think Tim the Toolman Taylor. The Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm pretty terrible at this game. <laughs> this is hard, yeah. I know the actors, I know that <laughs> Some of them will be easier, I promise. <laughs> All right, clip number four. Okay, yes, the song that she just mentioned. Yep, that's what I was just going to say. I think that's what that is. There you go. All right, clip number five. song but i'm not sure what movie was that home alone yeah. i'm just gonna take a guess uh 1947 santa oh. claus is coming to town is that that's the song that's the song was but that from um, Ru no rudolph that i'll be no. home for christmas movie <laughs> the, I'm, i think it um, is yeah oh i know what it's you're on the tip of my tongue the drums um, what would drums be loud in White Christmas. No, no what? not White Christmas. Okay. No. That was a good guess, though. Most that? songs come from that. <laughs> I know, they do. Um, Think the Chris Kringle. The, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? No. no. Think of a, a famous parade is featured in the Macy's. movie. Macy's. Oh. Macy's Day yeah. Parade. What's the name of the movie with the little girl? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, miracle, miracle on, miracle, oh, miracle on 30 yes. <laughs> that one was too hard. You just had to draw it out of us. <laughs> miracle. Oh, yeah. You got it. <laughs> All right. Clip number six. Oh, I have, I have confidence you're going to get this one right <laughs> off the bat. Charlie Brown it's one of my favorite favorite christmas movies yes there you go all right i told you that one would be that one's iconic nobody would it ever is. get that one wrong right right all right clip number seven
Is that also from The Grinch? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It that would be like a, it could be. That would be a trick if I put two of the same yeah. movie in here. <laughs> okay. We need clues. Yep. 1990, John oh. Williams. Um, I should know this. Think me. And Kevin McAllister. See, if Jason or Jennings was in here right now, they would be telling you the answer. Yes. Um, own a family member. Yes, I need to. Is it, is it a Christmas movie? 100%. Okay. Think me and my favorite Christmas movie. Home Alone. Yeah. <laughs> <That> was... <laughs> me too. She kept saying me. I'm like, what? I think I think John Williams. I'm thinking Star Wars, Jurassic Park, and it's like <laughs> oh, okay. Could you imagine a Jurassic Christmas movie? That would be <laughs> that would be that would be awful. <laughs> See them hanging lights way up in the tree. <laughs> uh, all right, here's number eight. Yes, that was quick. That's a good one. <laughs> that is my nephew's favorite one. Mm -hmm. That's the one we we watch it every Christmas. Oh, it's a tradition. good one, but does it make you cry? It makes me cry. It does, <laughs> but it's like good cry. <laughs> Gives you the warm fuzzies. It does. All right, clip number nine. Now I'm going to preface this with this. You may not think it's a Christmas movie at first. I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's 1991. Okay. And John Williams again. Okay. Okay. And you said it's not a Christmas movie? It's like, technically, it, I, it, Christmas takes place during it, but Christmas is not the focal point of it. And I'll, I'll say Robin Williams, Rufio. Oh, Hook. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's when they, yes. Yes. That's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Me too. Yes. Good job, Robin. <laughs> 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 I'm impressed. I need. I honestly thought I'd have to tell you guys that one because it, it was obscure. All right, here is our last one, and it is another curveball. Oh no! <laughs> but Christmas is featured in it, and this song is in it, so okay. it's, it's it sounds like a Christmas song. Okay. Also, it's 19. <laughs> I know this song. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I know the song. I don't. I, uh, I don't know. Clue. Well, it's 1944. Okay. Ralph Blaine was the composer. County Fair, uh, Minnesota. <laughs> Not helping. <laughs> oh, wait, is it Missouri? Is it Missouri? Oh, that's terrible. Is it a musical? Yes. Is it a musical movie? Yes. Is it State Fair? Yes. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I said County Fair. <laughs> state Fair. The State Fair. Yes. Is that what it, the musical? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that was pretty good. So, <laughs> oh. Think of a town's name. A town's a city name is in the title of it. I don't know. Meet me in St. Louis. Louis. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, did I get that wrong? That's not Minnesota. That's Missouri, right? Missouri. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't travel much. Anyway. 
All right. Well, there's there's the end of it. Thank you guys right. for joining. Oh, yes. Thank you. I will have all of our QR codes here for people to donate to us. Yay. Uh, so pick your favorite. And but every vote's important because it all yes. goes to the city. Right. Totally yes. agree. Totally agree. Yes. And for I would sure. like, can I give a special shout out to my students? Oh, please do. Yes. yes. So all the Guy Academy Middle School students and the, um, the Guy Academy Marching Band. And then all my former students at Washington Elementary. I can't not mention them because I really miss them too. So, awesome. yeah, I, music is so important. And I, I just think this is fantastic um, that we all get to help the symphony and help them continue. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So you sort of said hi to me. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Marilyn. And good luck to both of you ladies. Yes, thank you. You, you as well. To all of us. Yes. <laughs> there you go. See you good soon. <laughs> yep. See you later. Take care. <laughs>